0: We're going to start off in Colossians, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and go over there to Colossians chapter 3. We've been talking about the fruit of the spirit for many weeks and now let's spend a couple lessons on looking at a bit about the new man, the new person that we are in Christ when the spirit is working in us and producing in us those things that we talked about earlier. And I want to back up in that same chapter that uh, Jeff just read from, go back up to verse 5, because Paul goes from the putting on in 12 through 17, and even further, I think, in, in some aspects there, but he also starts off with something that we need to put off, and we've talked a little bit about that, even Bill had a, had, a, had a small class about that Sunday morning, about things that we're putting off, so let's let Paul remind us about what we put off before we talk about what we put on. In verse 5, it says, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in all. I want to congratulate you guys for putting on clothes this morning. It's it's really good that everybody put on clothes this morning. What's that? Yep, yeah, boom, done. Check that box. We got our clothes on. Good job. Do we have our spiritual clothes on too? Are we putting on the new man? Is being renewed, like he says, to the true knowledge, according to the one who created him. This new man is new completely. (coughs) Completely new from what we used to be. We've talked about that before, and I've even shared the, the struggle sometimes that I've had, because sometimes you feel like you're still the old man. Because you get tempted by the same things that the old man was tempted by. And you remember what the old man used to do. But you're not the old man anymore. You're the new man. And sometimes I just need to remind myself of what he says I'm putting on. And like Bill has said before, what we remember we put off. It's good to have that memory. It's good, to, it's good that God didn't just wipe our memories clean because I need to remember some of those things. I need to remember where I was and who I was. It helps me become who I need to be. One of the quotes that I like from, I can't remember who, who said it, but I had it written down in my Bible. And it says, out of 100 men, one will read the Bible, and 99 will see the Christian. It's just that, you know, the best sermon never told is, is seen or, you know, actions speak louder than words type thing. It's, man, many people probably won't ever pick up a Bible, but they might see you. And it might interact with you. And you might be the Bible to them at that point. If they don't ever pick up one, what do they see in you? Does the new person in you greet them or is it the old person? might depend on the day, right? It might depend on your attitude sometimes. You you might have greeted them with the old person. I need to stop greeting people with the old man. The new man needs to be greeting people. The new man needs to be meeting people. So when Paul says here in 12 through 17, because you've been this, but remember you're not that anymore in in 10 and 11. He says you've been renewed to a true knowledge here. And then he goes through 12 to 17. Some of this is going to be um, continued on to next week. But we're going to look primarily at 12, 13, 14, and 15 probably today. Somewhere in there, if if we get through all of that today, but this new man is is where, where does the where does the power come for you and I to be this new man from God from Christ? Right, it doesn't lie within you and me, right? Because if you and I could do it, well, then why would we need Jesus to begin with? And if I could do it, then I I should just do it myself. But I can't do it myself. That's, That's the hard part of this, is I can't do it myself. In fact, I want you to go over to a scripture you're probably familiar with, Isaiah, chapter 64. And look at what Isaiah says way back when about similar things that we're talking about now, about how, am I good enough to save myself? no yes you 're right no and isaiah sixty four six my translation reads this way: For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, all our iniquities like the wind, take us away what 's interesting there is that what is what uh, according to my translation, maybe you have a different one if if, if it reads differently, but Mine says all righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. What what is the filthy garment in this case? Yeah, our righteous deeds here. It's not. He's not in that in that context right there. I am unclean. I'm doing. I'm not. I'm not living a life that I should be living. But my righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. I can't. Yeah, my best is not good enough to get me to where I need to be. My righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. God is the only one that can make me righteous. I can't make myself righteous. In fact, in that same book, a couple chapters earlier, look at 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with what? Robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. He's wrapped me with that robe of righteousness. My righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. I can't do it on my own. I can't get there on my own. I can't be this new man that Paul says in 12 through 17. "This This is who you are. In Christ, I can't be this on my own. So when we're looking to this new man, again, I want to look to Jesus. And I want to look at some of these, these things that Paul says in 12 through 17. I want to see Jesus in these things. And then maybe you can tell me if you see yourself doing these things. Look to Jesus, what we put off and what we put on here, the compassion one. In verse 12, And so, As those of you who have been chosen of God, holy, beloved, put on a heart of compassion. I've got a couple scriptures that I want to look at in compassion, and look at Jesus in compassion. Go over to Matthew chapter 9. Your fingers are again going to get a workout this morning, so we're going to go all over looking at at Jesus here. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 5. First off, I guess we, we, I shouldn't really just stop at verse five. I, I'm 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 conflicted because I want to read more each time, but but we don't have the time to read everything that I'd like to read at the same time. So every time, forget it. I'm going to start at verse one. I'm going to go to eight, and then then I'll move on from there. Getting into a boat, he crossed over. He came to his own city. And behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son, your sins are forgiven. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Rise, take up your bed, and go home. And he rose and he went home. When the multitude saw this, they were filled with awe and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, among other things in this, I see Jesus as a compassionate man. He sees this paralytic. He sees the faith of these men and he sees this man who's moved him to action. The faith has moved him. Their faith has moved him to action. I see compassion in this. There's there's tons of places where you can see compassion in Jesus. And in, even in the same chapter, go over to verse 35 of this chapter. He's healed this man from his paralytic state, but he's really done even more than that. He's forgiven him of his sins, plus done that to him. And in verse 35, it sums up what he's been doing in this chapter, going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the multitudes, he what? Felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. This compassion that Jesus feels, it moves him to action. I think that's the same kind of compassion that Paul says you and I should have. Go over to the book of Mark, chapter 1, oops, verses 40 through 41 there. Here Jesus is showing compassion again. A leper came to him, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying to him, If you're willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion again. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Much more than just cleaning, he's, he's touching the man. He's, he's moved with this compassion that Jesus has. Now go over to the book of Luke. And again... See this compassion. Luke chapter 7, verses 12 through 14. He's going to the city called Nain, and you know the the story here probably too. The young man here. And as he approached the gate, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A sizable crowd from the city followed her. And when the Lord saw her, what does it say in your translation? He felt compassion for her and said, do not weep. Again, moving him to action, this compassion that he feels for his creation that ultimately rejects him and says, we don't want you. But that's the compassion that, that Paul is saying, put on a heart of compassion. I see the compassion in Jesus. I see him being moved to action over and over again. Where do you see that in your life? Does anybody see compassion in your life? Do you, have you been moved to action this week, the week before? We were listening to the radio on the way here, and, and one of the stories on the radio was a guy who left his wallet, I think it was in the car something, at the store, grocery store, and he ran out to get the wallet. By the time he got back in, somebody had paid his bill, was about one hundred and twenty dollars, I think, if I remember right, and he didn't know who it was, but they paid his paid his bill. Somebody was moved to action and had compassion on that man who he had the money, and I mean, would would you have done that? I don't know. One hundred twenty dollars is quite a bit of money. <laughs> if if you owe five dollars, maybe I'll maybe I'll slip you a five. I'll pass you a couple of pennies, maybe. About 120? That's a serious commitment right there. Uh, he doesn't know who did it. They didn't They didn't tell him who did it. They did, probably didn't want him to know who did it. It was a compassionate act. that That's the heart of compassion here that Paul says, this is the kind of heart you put on, a heart of compassion that's moved to action when you see there's something that needs to be done, somebody that needs to be fed, somebody that needs to be touched, somebody that needs to be prayed with. Somebody, something that needs to be done, that, that compassion moves you to action. Because if it moved Jesus to action, it should move us to action. Again, that's that, that outpouring of what God has put in us. If God has put in us a heart of compassion, then what comes out? Our heart of compassion. That's what comes out. So the next one, Paul says, you, you've been, you put on a heart of compassion, and then you put on kindness. Who likes Kindness. Anybody like kindness? I like kindness. Who's not kind all the time? (laughs) I'm not kind all the time. Kindness is something you you may have to work at. But Paul is saying, you've got to put on kindness here. Jesus was kind, wasn't he? And and Jesus was often kind to the very people that everybody else was not kind to. Over and over again. In fact, go to Luke chapter 19 and look at one person that Jesus was kind to. that everybody else... Most people weren't kind to. Luke nineteen. At the beginning of that chapter, the story of Zachari- Z- Zacchaeus. I almost said Zacharias. It's Zacchaeus. <clears throat> this this guy that that, in, in, well, you know, rightly or unrightly, has got people upset at him, and irritated with him. Jesus in verse 5 says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house today. And what happens to that man? That man's life is completely turned around. The whole family's life is completely turned around. Jesus looks at the only guy there, baby, that that everybody else says, you don't need him. You're not even worthy to have him at your house. But Jesus says, you're the one that I'm coming to see. I'm going to be kind to you. My kindness is going to move me to that same kind of action here. There's another verse here I want you to look at. Uh, John chapter 4. You probably already know since I said John 4 where we're going. 7 through 10 specifically, but you could start earlier. there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, what? Give me a drink. Give me a drink. So many years of hostility between Samarians and Jews. Meeting on the battlefield here. Cultural and and men-women differences here, especially in that time. All of this stuff coming to a head. In verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This kind Jesus who's not repaying this um, sort of, What are you asking me for? We don't even talk to each other. You probably shouldn't be sitting here talking to me. You probably should have moved away by now, and giving me space culturally. Here, we're, we're we're breaking all sorts of boundaries here. But Jesus is this kindness of Him. He's saying, "I'm going to overlook your insult here. I know I know Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans, and vice versa. I know that. But but let me show you what kindness looks like. Let me show you some kindness when you don't get maybe so much kindness. That's the kind of kindness that Paul is saying here. Put on this kindness. Have we? Have you, have I, shown kindness like that to people this week, last week? Can you think of something in your life where you were kind to, to a person that maybe nobody else is kind to? Nobody else wants to be kind to. Maybe they don't even deserve, quote unquote, deserve to be, have someone be kind to them. Where are you in the kindness department here on the new man? The second, or the second thing, the third thing. Over there in Colossians chapter 3. Put on a heart of compassion and kindness. Then gentleness, meekness. Gentleness, meekness. And again, we've covered that with the fruit of the Spirit. Meekness is not weakness, right? It's strength under power. It's, it's that strength. I have the strength to do this, but I'm not going to do it. It's that reserved power. I want you to look at one example with me over there in First Peter Of this Peter calling back to remember Jesus as he's writing the letter here. He reminds the people of what I'm trying to remind us of this morning, Jesus. Because where else are you going to point when you're trying to figure out how to live a life for Christ? You point to him. Verse 23 specifically, after he's told them in 21, you've been called for this purpose. Christ has suffered, and you get to follow in his footsteps. And he didn't deserve to suffer, just like Frank said at the table this morning. In 22, he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. In 23, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. That gentleness and that meekness. He points back to that gentleness and meekness in Jesus. But I also think, when I think of Peter... I don't necessarily think of a gentle and meek man as Peter either. I think it, the, he's that, that permanent foot-and-mouth disease guy that, that says things before he thinks and is getting rebuked by Jesus. But this is also a man who now sees things differently and lives differently, has been corrected by Paul, has, has, has gone through his own struggles here, and now he's pointing them back to remember a Jesus that was meek and humble, a Jesus that was, was gentle, Excuse me, gentle, and it's and it's almost like the uh, end of that chapter there, or into that book there in verse chapter five, where he's exhorting his fellow elders. He's exhorting them to be witness or to be partakers, in all of this stuff that that he's witnessed. This this man who used to just shove his foot right into his mouth has learned the gentleness, the meekness. Is probably still learning, just like everybody still learns. But is learning that gentleness, that meekness that leads to that life that, that does want to suffer for Christ. That says, I do want to suffer for your cause. You suffered, I will suffer, and I'll be counted among those who suffer because of that humbleness, that, that gentleness, that meekness. And now, in that, that next one, is, it's humility, humbleness. Gentleness, meekness, and then humbleness for the new man. Isaiah 53 will be... A verse here for that 53 2 specifically if you're writing that down this one is of course always a a much read one about Jesus because it's it does describe his humility For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root of parched ground, out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. I'm going to go into verse 3 as well. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. The humble Jesus that comes to the earth and is despised by his very creation, is that humble Jesus that Paul describes in Philippians chapter 2 as the man that we should again emulate about, emulate ourselves on to have the mind of him, to be in fellowship with each other and have the mind of him. In verse 5, have the attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it reminds us in two verses there, he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He humbles himself. Jesus Christ himself humbled himself. So Paul is saying that this new man is going to humble himself. And when I think of how, how do I humble myself, well, then I need to look back to Jesus. How did he humble himself? How did he humble himself to a creation that didn't even want him? He came to his own and his own didn't accept him. Insulted him. Killed him. But he was humble enough to do what God asked him to do. Humble enough to do that, to go to death on a cross. The new man is also to be that humble. The next thing is to bear with one another. From humility comes bearing with one another and the forgiveness that we extend to each other. Anybody got a problem with forgiveness here? No. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, kind of. For me, sometimes, and it shouldn't be this way. I'm sure, but it's kind of like that bill at the at the that the guy got paid there, 120 dollars. You know, sometimes that forgiveness, when it's really big, it's harder for me to forgive. If it's really small, okay, and eh, no worry about it. But when it gets really big and you hurt me really bad, then that bill gets bigger and it's harder to forgive. Maybe it shouldn't be that way. But as a human being, I struggle with forgiveness sometimes. But the new man is going to bear with one another. It's going to forgive each other. That forgiveness that Jesus extended to me has got to turn around and extend to you. And Ephesians chapter 4, I know I brought this one up before. Verse 32 It's always one that I think of when I think of forgiving and I think of how I need to forgive others because it reminds me how I've been forgiven. As he says there at the end of that chapter, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So I get to forgive you just like God in Christ forgave me, which is not always Easy. But again, I I, I get to point back to Jesus, right? The man on the cross who's forgiving me for everything that I've done. How dare I not turn around and extend that same forgiveness to you, no matter what you've done. I read a quote about a Pharisee. A Pharisee is very hard on on others and very easy on himself. I've been a Pharisee in my life before. I can see your faults pretty darn well. I cannot see my faults as well sometimes. But uh, that's not the new man. The new man is not a Pharisee who is hard on others and easy on himself. The new, new man is a man that is examining himself and seeing, do I forgive you like God forgave me? Do I bear with you like God bears with me? Because God bears with me through a lot. And I need to bear with you (laughs) the same amount. All of these things, all of these things I think that Paul is saying here about the new person. If we are this new person, we've been chosen in God, holy and beloved, Then we put on these things, this heart, this kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. These are all qualities of Jesus. Paul doesn't ask us, and Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he's not doing, which is pretty cool. If Jesus is going to say, hey, do this, then I'll bet you we can go back and see where Jesus did that. Because Jesus is going to say, if you're going to be like me, then I'm going to have to tell you, I'm going to show you how to do it. Here's how you do it. Here's how you put on kindness. Here's how you put on compassion. Here's how you do these things. You allow the Spirit to work in you and produce these things through you. You see me in action, and that's a natural outflow pouring of, of what you see in me and what God has put in you. It throw, flows out through us. All these qualities here being produced in us. Sometimes I've asked the question, how do I do all these things? And, and I've, I wrote down this little thing. I said, I could ask this question, I could ask God to help me. That seems like a good question. Help me do these things. God, I want to be more compassionate. Help me be more compassionate. That seems like a good question, but I don't think that gets to the heart of it. I could ask, I want to help you, God. I want to help you do these things in the world. I want to help you spread your message. That, again, kind of gets to the heart of the matter, I think. But the real question I should be asking God in, these, in this capacity, and when I'm saying, how do I become this new man? is God, allow help me to allow you to work through me and for me and on me. And if you're working in me, then these things are going to happen. These things have to happen. It's not me saying, I'm going to help you out, God. And it's not me saying, God, I need you to help me out. It's it's just God, work in me. Transform me. Make my heart look more like your son. And if it looks more like him, then I am going to be more compassionate. I am going to be more kind. I am going to look at you and think, I can't hold that against you because I know what God forgave me of. I'm going to love you just the same. And I'm going to bear with you like God bears with me. Because he's working in me and through me. And what binds all that together is what, he, what Paul says in verse 14. This this new man, this new person doing all of these things that we see in Christ and having God working in us and through us is being bound together in love. That perfect bond of unity, that glue that holds everything together is this love. It's the reason God did anything for us. He loves us. It's the reason Jesus stayed on that cross. He loves us. And that's that bond of unity, that glue that holds everything together here. I want to share a couple of scriptures with you about that love that Paul says. This is what binds it all together. 1 Corinthians 13, that famous chapter that gets read at almost every wedding. At least the good weddings, right? First chapter, First uh, Corinthians chapter 13 that has absolutely nothing to do with weddings, but we read it anyway. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have I'm nothing. Absolutely nothing. If I don't have love, I am nothing. There's a reason that in verse 13, Paul says the greatest of these is love. Because everything else is going to go away when christ finally comes there's there's hope is realized faith is realized what is left love what is god love that is that is this bond that that brings everything together and holds everything together is that love and that comes from here that love that we've talked about before it's not that intellectual i know who god is it's this love that has that that sort of mushy side that can can make you uncomfortable sometimes. This this love. It's sometimes hard to define. This love. Verse 13, or chapter 13 of Romans. Look at that. Look at Paul again saying something about love and what we owe each other. Verse 8, he says, Owe nothing to anyone Except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has what? Fulfilled the law. This love that he's talking about here is the active pursuit of of good for somebody else. It is actively looking for the good of other people. This agape love that puts other people first constantly. Is that love that he is calling for here. I think he's saying this is that love that bonds all things together. In chapter 3 of Colossians, this is what holds that new person together, that love. Without that love, I'm not going to be that kind man. Without that love, I'm not going to be compassionate. I'm not going to forgive you without love. I'm not going to be humble without love. I'm not going to be gentle without love. It's all wrapped up in a package. So how do we put those things on then? We get up in the morning, we put our clothes on. How do we put these things on that Paul says in Colossians 3... You're putting on these things. And I, I think it's a constant renewal. So it's not a one-time put on. You're, you're putting on. This is a constant thing that God is working in us and through us with. That is, that is happening over and over and over again every day. How do we put that on? A couple of things that I want to say about putting this on here is in these next verses. Verse 15 and 16. Again, this is not a, a list of how to do things. This is, this is more the, the outflow of what happens when you have Christ in you. It's that same process, I think, that is, is in, in 1 Corinthians, where Paul is saying, I didn't come to baptize. But what happens when somebody understands the gospel? They're baptized. He's, he's coming to preach the word of Christ, period. He's coming to talk about Jesus, Period. The natural outflow of that conversation, if you get it, and if God gets you, is immersion. But Paul says, I ain't come to baptize, I came to preach. But that baptism, that's a natural outflow of this conversation. And this here, this man, this person, this new man, the natural outflow is going to be these things. And here in verses 15, 16, and 17 is sort of how Paul says, this is how the natural outflow happens. Because you've been called, because God has chosen you, and you have accepted his call, and you are one with him now, these things are happening. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. You might have to just park there for for a minute or two, because there's a lot of things in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule, Rule. I know I've, I've told you about the, that word there, the arbiter. Let it be, let it act as an arbiter in your hearts here. That arbiter that, that decides everything. It is, and it, it, not only does it decide everything, but it is an authority. So the peace of Christ is supposed to be an authority in our hearts. It's supposed to decide everything in our hearts. It's supposed to decide everything between me and you. So when I have a disagreement with you. What is the arbiter? It's the peace of Christ. When I have an argument with me, and there's a battle between me and me, between the flesh and the spirit, what is the arbiter? It's the peace of Christ. That's the arbiter. That's the authority that I need to appeal to to help put on that compassion, that kindness, that humility, that patience. But putting on, uh, having that peace of Christ in my heart is is again that process of God working in me. It's not something that I can actively say, okay, I need more peace. I'm going to grab some more of peace here. It's, it's opening myself up more and more to Him and letting Him work in me more and more and be more active in my life. And that peace comes as I open up my heart and my mind and my body, my soul, everything about me to Him. It settles all disputes. And, and when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the times that I stood at my son's soccer games and got so irritated with the refs because they didn't see what I saw. They didn't see that snot loans little punk knock my kid around. They didn't call the foul that I saw. And if every single parent on that field, I'm sure they felt a little like me if they're, if they have any you know, feeling at all, because your kid's out there playing. Your kid needs to be treated right. And that, other kid needs to be smacked around a little. So if every parent out there had the, the arbitration, it would be a messed up game because I'd be calling fouls all over the place and my team would be amazing and win by tons of scores. But there needs to be a ref out there. Even though I didn't like the ref, there needs to be somebody out there saying, nope, no, this is it or this is it. Even though they're blind, they need to be out there. And that's that, that, that arbiter in my life needs to be Christ because if it's me, I'm going to be calling all sorts of things. And you're going to be calling all sorts of things and we're going to be all over the place. But our arbiter has to be Jesus Christ himself. He's the one that says, no, that's a foul. No, that's not a score. No, you can't push him down. That, he has to be, in my heart, acting as this arbiter For me to be a man who is putting on this kindness and compassion, humility, gentleness, all of this stuff that is bearing with you. If he's not doing that, then I'm calling the game. And I'm going to mess it up. Mess it up. In fact, I've already messed it up. That's why I need him to call the game. I need a ref. And Jesus had that kind of peace, I think. I want you to go over to John chapter 14 and look at the peace that he says... It's going to be with them. Here he's getting them ready to... He's getting them ready, kind of preparing them for when he's going away. John chapter 14, 27 specifically. But he introduces the helper, the Holy Spirit there in verse 26. He's saying, he's going to help you guys out when I'm gone. And 27 he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, troubled, nor let it be fearful. That that peace that Jesus gives. And, and And in this case, he's saying, my peace I'm giving you. And when I think of his peace, I'm thinking the ultimate peace that he's given is that he's bridged that gap between man and God. I can give you this peace. You can't get it yourself, but I can give it to you. And I'm going to give it to you. Not only that, I'm going to give you my spirit. He's going to be with you. And we carry his spirit in us. That peace of Christ. Ruling in our hearts. That peace that he says, I'm going to give to you here. If you go over to Philippians. Really quickly. Chapter 4. This peace helps us in being that new man. Again, in verse 6 through 8, Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. me, With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what happens? The peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. that, That again blows your mind, doesn't it? You can't quite understand the peace of God. I can't quite wrap my head around the peace of God. But I don't have to wrap my head around the peace of God. I just have to wrap my heart around the peace of God. And if my heart is wrapped around this peace of God, then the other stuff happens because my heart is where it should be. And it guides us, it, it guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And he says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, of good repute, if there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Be anxious for nothing and let the peace of God The peace of Christ rule in our hearts. And if we do that, Paul says here in verse 15, the peace of Christ rules in your hearts. You've been called to one body. And because you've been called in that one body, what should I be? I should be compassionate. But he also says at the end of that verse in 15, he says, indeed you were called in one body and be thankful be thankful. That, that again should be a, a natural outflow to the fact that, that God has made peace with me. I, Jesus has made peace with God through for me. He has taken all of my sin away. He has made me a new man. He has made me a man that has is compassionate, kind, humble, gent- All of these things. He is ruling in my heart, and because of all that, I'm thankful. And that thankfulness is another another outflow of. Who we are in Christ. A thankful person that realizes what has been done for them is the person that pays that $120 bill for somebody else they don't know. Or is that person that, that gives that, that guy outside McDonald's $5 to go get a hamburger. Or, or that, that throws them that, that um, blessing bag, that gives them those blessing bags. And, and we, we bless people because we've been blessed. We're thankful because we've been saved. And Paul reminds us a lot to be thankful, doesn't he? Over and over again, he says, be thankful. I think we're going to have to say verses 16 and 17 and even some more down for the next next one. I'm going to put them in that one because I'm going to end it at thankful. I think that's a good place to end this week. To be thankful. To be thankful for everything that God has done in us and is continuing to do in us. Everything that God has done for us and is continuing to do for us. Remembering where we came from, where we've been. Because, like I said before, out of 100 men, maybe one gets to read the Bible. Maybe one even wants to read the Bible. But 99 are probably going to see you and I somewhere. And if they see us, what are they going to be reading? Are they going to be reading this new person that has the spirit working in them, producing this fruit, and having this heart of compassion, this kindness, this humility, this gentleness, patience, A person that bears with one another and forgives each other. That's the kind of person that we need to be. And that's the kind of person we are as we are putting on this new man and we're letting God work in us and through us. Just open yourselves up to him more this week. Instead of saying, I want to help you out, God, just say, God, work through me. Use me. Use me this week to be kind. Use me this week to be gentle, whatever it is. Use me this week to show the world this new man, this new woman that you produce by your spirit and by your son and through his blood. Do that this week. Look at that new man this week as we stand and as we sing.